0: Hi, and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature podcast with me, Chris Jordan. In this episode, I'm speaking with Brad Philpott. Brad is an English teacher in Frankfurt, but is best known for his brilliant range of textbooks and instructional courses for teaching the IBDP. Brad is someone who has worked within IB education for a long time, holding numerous roles, affording him a massive amount of experience and know-how when it comes to English instruction and curriculum design. We discussed the best book he's ever read, taught or learned whilst at school, how Brad feels about the most recent changes to the DP course and the IO or HLE in particular, that's uh, individual oral or HLSA in particular, why he chose to set up the most recent textbook thematically, the texts he teaches in the new course, when and how the likes of areas of exploration, key concepts and global issues play a part in his curriculum, how the learner portfolio has been implemented in Brad's classes and finally, the element of the English A course he enjoys most and one thing he'd change if he could. Brad offered up a variety of insights in this conversation that I'm already looking to implement into my own practice. This was really a refreshing blend of pragmatism and idealism around the many demands made of teachers by the IB. If you wanna be kept up to date on when educational chat like this happens, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast and or follow me on Twitter at chrisjordanhk. Uh, here we go. Um. All right, Brad, so what is the best book you've ever read, taught or learnt whilst you're at school yourself?
1: All right, cool. Great way to start the podcast. I like this question. I don't know what the best book is that I've ever read. I'd like to think there's so many more still out there that I have yet to read. Um, But, and my memory is also very short. So I'm just going to run with The Great Gatsby, which I read a few weeks ago with uh, some grade 10 students. And uh, like so many of these books that we teachers read, I I gave it a quick reread, you know, the, the night before teaching it. And uh, every time I'm just marveled by the language of Fitzgerald and the structure of the storyline, uh, the characters, they're so um, brilliant. I mean, it's really it's, it's got so much depth and the language is so nuanced and it's um, it's art. You know, it's it's beautiful. And mm-hmm. you, it's one of those works that is timeless. And I tried to stress that to my students as well when we talked about it. We live in a in, we work in a very affluent community here at Frankfurt International School. And uh we watched the uh Buzz Luhrmann film as well, too, uh The Great Gatsby. And I think so many of the students um just feel like they're they're invited to Gatsby's party. They're living the elite privileged life and they love the martini glasses and Buzz Luhrmann music and everything. It's wild, it's crazy, it's fun. And then <laughs> when I when I I come in with this message. It's like, it's about the, you know, the writing on the wall uh, before the great depression and um, excess and inequality. And they look at me like I'm some kind of weird Martian, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's a teacher. He's probably getting paid half of what my parents earn. And so he's here like <laughs> our moral compass to remind us uh, of, you know, not everyone has it as good as we have it. And I don't know. Um, I don't know if the message resonates with the students. Um, it certainly resonates with me. Um, yeah. Uh, we're reading it in conjunction with The Reluctant Fundamentalist, interestingly, uh, which works re- really, really well. And we're doing some paper two style practice. And I I teach works very deliberately. I just earmark them right away and say, we're reading *The Reluctant Fundamentals* so that we can compare it to *The Great Gatsby* in a paper mm. two style setting, and I want to give you the paper two style skills. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm guilty of teaching to the test. That's—I um, I don't know why a teacher would not teach to the test. Mm. I, I think we owe to our students to be um, somewhat exam-focused. I, I, I hope you know that students love to learn to love to read. And that they appreciate reading and and that, you know, lifetime appreciation of of literature. Um, But in all actuality, you know, 16, 17 years old. They didn't ask to read The Great Gatsby or Reluctant Fundamentalist. And so um, it it is kind of our duty, I think, as teachers to put them in a situation where they think about things they had not thought about before. And they um, read marvelous sentences and and beautiful language like this. yeah and and then they we teach them the powers of expression and and, and teach them to channel some of their great ideas into um yeah f- forms of of expression that that are coherent and argumentative and persuasive and analytical yeah so I teach to the test and I definitely teach the gatsby <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: that's so funny the way i mean the last person i spoke to for this amy Staniforth, who I mean, she's an English teacher based in Norfolk, England, and it's it was the right. exact same answer, like The Great Gatsby. It's just so funny how like that those two things. You're obviously kind of two different, completely different parts of the world. Obviously, like anglophone countries, you both come from. But yeah, I and and for what it's worth, I love that book and The Reluctant Fundamentalist is a brilliant, brilliant text as well. Sure. Yeah, has some great yeah. choices. Um, how do you? How do you? I mean, I, I'm talking about. Um, the 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 most recent changes to the IB course. Now they feel it's actually been a couple of years. I suppose it's like one or two years ago since the course changed. But how did you feel about the most recent changes to the the DP course and and specifically with like the IO or the individual oral and the the higher level essay coming into this most recent iteration of the English A course?
1: Oh, I like it. I love it. I think it's um, a great. I think it's good to break from the old uh, individual oral commentary to some extent. Um, I I think the IB did that uh, for a couple of reasons. Every school was running it slightly differently um, and they all thought they were running it the same way, but uh, they weren't necessarily exam conditions. And, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So the IB thought, Mm -hmm. well, if students are preparing this and schools are preparing it and um, let's just make it a level playing field and let them prepare it and let them rehearse it and, you know, in all actuality, how often do you give a talk that you haven't prepared? Um, It's important. I think Um, I had some students last week when we did our individual oral, they sound rather rehearsed and thank goodness, you know, (laughs) some (laughs) chunks were memorized, uh, certainly, uh, but because they had gone through their own uh, recordings and practice uh, attempts and refined their, their language. uh, Yeah. They, they, they learned how to articulate themselves even better. And, um, yeah, th- and they produced work that they were really proud of. And I think the biggest break actually in the new course is not so much the individual oral, the HL essay, but, uh, the schooly, fr- the, the freely chosen works. Right. So, mm. uh, in the past it used to be called schools, free choice, and the new guide now calls them free choice. Um, and there is room for students to select their own works. Um, I know not every school embraces that level of freedom. Um, oftentimes the, the teacher decides what will be freely chosen. and uh, But I've, I've gone the other way. I've, For example, just preparing a unit here where uh, we've read Persepolis together as our work in translation. And then I've selected four other graphic novels and they can pick which one they want to, to, to read. And then I put them in reading circles and, uh, yeah, quite likely a, a nice IO will come out of that too, because there's some element of choice. Students feel ownership over the works they're reading. Uh, yeah. And the same with, with poetry, for example, I like that they have, I like that they've called song lyrics now poems. It, it, I think it's definitely a different medium, but okay, whatever, um, you know, students can come to me and say, well, I know we read Grace Nichols, but can I talk about Lizzo? I love her lyrics. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, whatever. Who am I to prevent you from uh, analyzing Lizzo lyrics or uh, Kanye West or, um, you know, some of these other rap artists that I I haven't studied, but, you know, supposedly they're literary. I mean, it it puts the student in a nice position too, where you, you challenge them. Say, look, convince me that this rapper is artistic and literary. And, uh, and they try, you know, that suddenly that changes the whole dynamic of the individual oral, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. When you do a mock on a, um, on a a set of song lyrics that you don't necessarily know that well uh, as the teacher, as the examiner, right? We're supposed to be the gatekeepers of knowledge. And now suddenly we're having an, an honest conversation with young adults about the the works the literary texts that they feel passionately passionately about so um that for me is far more authentic yeah and i think i hope that in the future we have even more authentic forms of assessment i think the io is actually rather contrived it's it's Mm -hmm. still especially now when students are all trying to juggle so much you know um a uh a global issue and how that runs through both a passage from a literary work and the rest of the literary work and a passage from a body of work and the rest of the non-literary body of work. It's like, mm. of course, formulas will, um, it, it force of course, it will be formulaic because, uh, you, you know, basically it's going to have to be two and a half minutes timed on <laughs> each of those four things yeah. relating each thing back to the global issue. And, yeah, it's um, so I, I hope that in the future, I, I, I saw that was one of the questions on your on your list as well, too. What what do you hope for the new guide? Um, mm-hmm. When would that be 2025? Mm-hmm. Um, I think something more authentic would be really, really nice. But, you know, you got to walk before you can run. And I think the IB is just starting to open things up a little more. Um, yeah, it's I see lots of good things with it, with this yeah. current guide. Yeah, I like it a well, lot.
0: Out of the out of interest, what are those four, four graphic novels, Brad, that you um,
1: allow students to to choose from? That's funny. I was just working on the worksheet. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so in combination with reading um, Persepolis, students can choose to read Barefoot Gen by uh-huh. Kaiji Nakazawa, which is also on the PRL. Uh, the best we could do by T Boy. I'm not sure if I pronounced her name correctly. And um, Mouse by Art Spiegelman, of course, or Belonging uh, by Nora Krug. Ah, I haven't heard of
0: Bar Mouse. I haven't heard any of them. So I'll I'll look them up and stick them in the the notes. I'm always on the lookout for like a new graphic novel. I think Persepolis is fantastic, but yeah, it'd be nice to broaden my um my horizons a little bit um you you the the most recent kind of in response to this iteration of the course like the the, the most recent kind of textbook that you um prepared and put out there um in in 2019 was it a couple of years ago yeah. um you 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 chose to set up the the langlit textbook thematically i mean, it's like two or three maybe four Um, themes in there. Is this the way that your department in Frankfurt uh, approach it now? And and what advantages do you think it is um, to to approach the course in this way now that the old parts have disappeared?
1: Um, So (laughs) I think everyone was looking for a way of organizing the course that was meaningful for students. Um, And, you know, like the Oxford book went with areas of exploration I disagreed with that in, entirely. And um, I could see that um, parts and assessment components had been um, separated. So um, I, I, I thought wh- what do we have left that's rather universal and and that's isms, right? So you know colonialism, feminism, um, racism, sexism, uh, communism, marxism, they all overlap <laughs> a little bit and um, they're rather timeless themes if you will or um or topics and they um lend themselves nicely to global issues i actually saw the global issues as as kind of um uh, a nice structure for the for the course um and i don't know i've i've since uh writing the textbook i've started to teach in a more thematic way um and so you know we have it's just very practical terms right like uh, we have seven quarters essentially of the school of school years, right? Like, um, seven terms of 12 weeks, if you will, there are seven concepts. So, you know, let's run with identity and growing up. I, you know, I kind of add my own word to one of the concepts or truth and transformation. Right. And, uh, you know, we'll do like Othello and, um, you know, bad blood or some, you know, fire festival documentary or don't fuck with cats or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, about truth transformation. And so I think it's really important. Just, i like the concepts actually best, um, rather than the isms. If I were to rewrite the book today, I'd probably go that route. Um, you know, writing a textbook, uh, you're always doing it with one hand behind your back, I suppose. Um, and it's a snapshot, um, uh, that's where I was at that time when I wrote it in 2018, published in 2019. Uh these things take about uh yeah, about eight to ten months to write and another six to six months to review and, and refine. Um and and I was writing with one hand tied behind my back, I suppose, because the IB doesn't give authors uh of well, not all auth- they don't give all authors um information on the guide before it comes out so mm. but they do give some authors information <laughs> it's a strange marketing world yeah
0: i think I like, yeah okay. so
1: unfortunately my publisher
0: yeah go ahead brad sir
1: yeah unfortunately my publisher didn't have the um earlier earliest versions of the guide or the inside information on on uh on the new guide coming out so i wrote it the way i wrote it uh for those reasons
0: that's it. Was a pretty prescient guide, I have to say. Like, I think it. I went to one of the first, um, if not the first, um, um, workshops in Hong Kong. It must have been, must have been February two thousand nineteen, maybe. Um, and um, the, the 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 people who were running the uh, workshops were obviously trying their hardest to convey the changes, but even they seemed quite in the dark about. all this meant in practicality and they were still ironing things out we were lucky enough to have guillermo in uh hong kong at the time um and he kind of straightened things out but yeah for for what it's worth i think if you were writing that in 2018 i think that the way that you approached it and the way you put it together was an incredibly prescient kind of um um effort and it i i would agree with you that it reads far better than than the one of the other textbooks which is um set up in that kind of areas of of knowledge and
1: um, kind of yeah, the areas, areas of exploration areas of it. explanation Sorry, yeah, yeah the kind yeah. of readers writers and texts the yeah um... i just i want to comment on that for a moment because what i did um i thought is is something that um it, you know it's it's difficult to approach one area of exploration without touching on other areas yeah. of exploration when unpacking a literary work Right. So, like, how are you going to grab a, a graphic novel like Persepolis and say, oh, we're going to do this in relation to reader, writer, text. So we're going to look mm. at graphic weight and panels and frames or whatever, captions. But we're not going to talk about Marjane Satrapi's life because that would in be a radiant tough.
0: revolution.
1: Right. So. In- And then clearly you'll say, well, that's why that some teacher would say, that's why I teach it with time and space. But all of that's rather artificial to break it up that way. And instead, I I really felt I love the questions that go along with the areas of exploration. And if you think about it, it, it's like peeling back the layers of an onion. And, and at the core, I think, is reader-writer text. You know, um, the, this, this formalist idea of analyzing a text uh, that we can come to understand it by understanding its parts. Uh, that, that's a great idea. Um, and then the next layer of the onion being time and space, um, which which adds a layer of meaning, if you will. Uh, so rather than just asking, um, you know, uh, how, why did writers write this, or um, how did writers write this, or how do writers read this, you know, we should also be asking, but when and where was it written, and when and where was it read? So that that makes a lot of sense, and then the intertextuality um, component. If we're going to continue with the onion metaphor, it's almost like having two onions. Uh, I love this idea of kind of comparing, contrasting. Um, you know how how typical is a text of its text type, and it just mm. um, adds another layer or yet another onion <laughs> to, to the mix. Um, and I and I really feel like I like to think in hierarchical pyramids, and um, I, I would like to think reader writer text is kind of the base and yeah. that you move up uh, the higher order thinking skills to refer to Bloom's taxonomy are explored more, I suppose, when uh, talking about time and space, but definitely when talking about intertextuality. Mm-hmm. And these are, by the way, these are three terms or three AOEs that m- my students don't even know about. I, I don't teach it, honestly. Um, I don't uh, bother them with jargon. that's unnecessary. Um, then, To come back to the earlier question, so why organize things around global issues? Well, because it's necessary for their individual oral, right? So in Mm. that term global issue, um, they cannot avoid and they'll remember it and they'll know it uh, because it's very relevant for their assessment. Area of exploration is not. So um, as a school, interestingly, we also don't touch AOEs, Um, might sound strange, but we do definitely the concepts, yeah.
0: No, I can. I can completely understand that. And I spoke. Mm-hmm. I, I did spoke to. I did speak rather to Guillermo a couple, maybe a year ago now, for for this um, podcast. And the thing that I sort of took away from it was that you have so many people. Obviously, must be working for the the language A uh, course. Never mind English A. Uh, and there's just so many great ideas. And at some point the time comes to actually formalize this into a course and maybe two, three, four, too many ideas get in. And there's, mm. it's, it's not just areas of exploration. You've then got these global issues. And on top of that, you've got um the kind of the key concepts. And on top of that, we want to do this. And it, it, it almost fee- feels a little bit too much like there's, 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 everyone's idea gets kind of a go and it's up to schools to try and make sense of what they do and don't pay attention to what they do make explicit and what they don't make explicit like you say i don't think we need to be using quite a lot of the jargon that appears no. in the guide and um, because i mean just just kind of sitting around as a department sometimes to say well, what, what are they actually talking about when they're asking us to implement these things and We'll talk about it for 20 minutes and someone will say but we're doing that already aren't we aren't we talking about how readers react to something and what writers want to um evoke and what you know text type kind of how they make meaning through the text and yeah but um in in coming back to like those different things or that 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 jargon that you kind of referred to earlier like where do um you might not make it explicit to um the, the students so to speak but when and how do the areas of knowledge key concepts and global issues pay, play a part in your DP curriculum how do you kind of um, you've already I suppose you've already mentioned the global issues and the, um, the areas of knowledge but in terms of the key concepts that they're expecting in the HLSA do you explicitly kind of go into those or how, how do you approach that
1: Yeah. So every 12 weeks we um, do a new unit. And then, like I said, the the title of the unit will be something along the lines of beauty and perspective. And Mm -hmm. um, so I like to take something that's uh, more topic and more concept and mesh them together. And then, you know, we'll read the bluest eye and um, Grace Nichols poetry and uh, some dove campaign for real beauty. And they can go find their own, um, commercials for, for anything, uh, you know, always or what have you. But um, yeah, the, we, so we have all kinds of great conversations about gender and such. But everybody knows in, in a unit like that, it's a 12-week unit. At the end of the day, they're going to do a mock individual oral. And so I think for my students, what's on their mind is which text am I going to use? What's my global issue? and if mr philpot wants to call this the beauty and perspective unit that's nice for him <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know and there are subtle reminders well like and and that's interesting you said that what makes you say that so in other words the perspective from which you're looking at <laughs> yeah. mr philpot comes with his artificial questions um that you know top down thinking trying to get them to make connections um but it it, it works it's good um now It's I I suppose by trying to separate all the concepts out is also just as artificial as trying to separate out the um, areas of exploration. Um, So we refer to identity and representation and everything as well in passing. Um, But again, it comes back to teaching to the test. And I'm here to help students develop the skills that they need in life to succeed. And uh, this course is very focused. I think Honestly, too focused on textual analysis, um, and so you, know, you can package it however you want with concepts or global issues or areas of exploration, as long as students feel like they're developing the skills that are valued on their exams and they can um, they can develop you know the, the the skills they can they can develop those as they go through the course. I think that's most important.
0: Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Um.
1: At the moment, what
0: what is it exactly that you are? If if we get down into kind of the the choice of texts, you've you've sort of offered up quite a lot of them already, actually. But what texts do you teach in the new course? Um. Uh, I'm assuming you teach lang and lit. Um. So so what what literature literature do you teach, and what um bodies of work or language sort of based yeah. stuff do you pair it
1: with? So, you know, I, I came to the department uh, only two years ago here at Frankfurt International School, and uh, it was clear that uh, the bluest eye was the text that every Lang and lit teacher would start the year with. And so I jumped into that. I fell in love with the novel. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's over the head for most of the students, but uh, we, we, we try. We get through it. And um, I think a lot of students come to appreciate language better because of it. Um, and, you know, the bluest eye, uh, we, like I said, we often connect with Grace Nichols poetry and um, the Dove campaign for real beauty and so many other bodies of work that deal with race and beauty and such. And honestly, um, I, I see, say, for example, the bluest eyes, the anchor text and other texts, such as the bodies of work as kind of satellite texts. And, um, they're very free to choose their own non-literary body of work. I know technically speaking, the IB says the body of work should have quote unquote been taught in class. Hmm. So, you know, we have students do the little mini presentations. They kind of pitch it to their classmates. Look, this is what I stumbled upon here's some artwork from this artist. Oh. And, um, I don't remember the name of the artist the other day, a student was presenting some, uh, artwork, um, uh, you know, that, that featured Barbie dolls that, had been contorted into strange, uh, positions and, uh, clearly, you know, commenting on domestic violence and such. And so very relevant to the novel, the bluest eye, and she did a great mock individual oral on it. And, uh, she felt very proud of her work and she definitely had a say in her work by uh, finding and presenting this, um, this body of work. So I was really happy for her. We we I have some go-to... So The the blue Eye is one of our novels. It's kind of standard. Othello is another novel that's kind of standard in the department. And then... uh, Sorry, a play. Um, But uh, besides that, it's uh, it's kind of a free-for-all. And um, yeah, I've gone down the graphic novel route, like I said, with uh, Persepolis and then getting them to pick another one that they like. I would recommend also for teachers, just generally speaking to grab something like Shakespeare or Hedda Gabler or something that's um, pre-20th century and Mm -hmm. a play that ticks that box, right? So suddenly, you know, with the reading requirements, um, if you're talking about different centuries, you know, that box is ticked. We're all likely to gravitate to something from the 20th or 21st century anyways. If we give students a free choice, that'll happen anyways um and so if we put a a Shakespeare work out there um yeah that that ticks a lot of boxes and then and then that frees up your free choices essentially and you can have a free-for-all with um poetry for example I could introduce Grace Nichols but then I can ask the students to bring find their own song lyrics or Mm -hmm. their other poet that they like I could narrow down the choices and say okay we're going to do a unit on environmentalism or something. And then here are a few um, song, uh, you know, songwriters who write about that. Um, Yeah. And so that, um, and then I can ask them to choose from a a, a short list. They do like, they do like it when I've shortened the list for them. I've noticed uh, when not, not every student really likes uh, freedom (laughs) or, uh, you know, freedom. (laughs) Yeah, that can be a bit daunting. A lot of them just want to know what to do. Yeah. 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 So like I said, we're doing Persepolis. We're doing Othello. Um, we're doing um, oh man, um, The Bluest Eye. Um, I did the White Tiger last year, The Land of Green Plums by Hertha Müller mm. did not go over well with most students, but there are a few students who really, really liked it. And um, I loved it too. It's it's rich, it's, it's like an, a novel of poetry, essentially. And about Romania Ceausescu and the lives of four students um it's really good so but this again it didn't go over well with all my students and so I think it's really important to find kind of a balance of literary works that are accessible and very doable like Persepolis and something more challenging like Othello yeah
0: mm, yeah I've I've heard good things about um the land of green plums actually i bought it a couple of months ago i've been meaning to mm-hmm. read it um the and i think that's quite good to do something where you're obviously working in frankfurt and i know that germany is not exactly next door to romania but i think that's quite nice to choose a text which is relatively kind of located yeah. within
1: you know that 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 part yeah. of the world um, it was german too. it's uh, hertha muller is uh, german speaking oh, okay well, there's a German speaking um, minority in Romania and the book is about those people. Yep.
0: Okay. Um, another kind of aspect of the new course then that I thought I'd ask about, this is this is something that I imagine is kind of interpreted differently in, in, in every school, but how do you see the kind of the the role of the learner portfolio um, that they brought in in the most recent iteration? Yeah. How do you use it in your school? How do you how would you like to use it? And um, um, how do you feel about that?
1: Yeah. So we've had lots of conversations about uh, the learner portfolio and curiously the, all the conversations about the learner portfolio just kind of fizzled and died out at one point um, because, because at the end of the day, anything goes again, right? The IB has not really dictated many rules to us, just the fact that it needs to be done and it should include a list of the literary works and non-literary works that are, read explored. Um, and so you you can get into conversations about format. Do we do paper, Google sites, um, WordPress, whatever? I don't know. At the end of the day, um, my real question is who's reading it, right? Who's looking at it Mm. and why are they looking at it? And so we use Google sites and I ask my students to create a page after we do every unit, um, you know, and put that into their, um uh, onto their google site and then i just asked them to answer four questions what have we been doing for the last four weeks uh two or three sentences why were we doing that do you think uh and the one answer they're not allowed to give is because mr Philpot told me we had to do this um how did you do it like what kind of methods did you use and apply and how well do you think you did it so um, mm-hmm. that and so that, that gets them to really reflect and evaluate. And then you've got a one pager on a Google site that I say their parents should read, right? And uh, there should be a link there that hyperlinks through to the worksheet that we've been working on for the last four weeks. And um, if the parents want to click through, they can. If they don't want to, <laughs> that's understandable as well. I know they have um, maybe two or three children, uh, and you know, clicking through every unit from every child uh, can be a bit much. I'm speaking also right now as a parent, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you think about it, you know, a portfolio is only something they're willing to work on if it's going to be meaningful for someone they care about, uh, and I think it helps to think about the portfolio in terms of little windows and big windows, right? Um, report cards, I I think are some of the the worst invention for learning ever, but we do them here at our school too. And, you know, we have four quarters, that's four numbers that we give per year, per student, per subject, like on a rating system, one to seven. And a lot of parents find that that's um, a big enough window to look at in order to understand where their child is in their learning journey. Now, I think both you and I understand that that number doesn't really represent anything uh, of any value to anyone. Uh, yeah, but students are convinced that, you know, a seven is, is you know, the kind of the be all end all. Um, and so what I, I, I have really unique um, portfolio method. What I do is I set a worksheet. It has seven steps. Uh, the first step is personal creative response. I want you to respond to something, right? Here's the first page from Persepolis. Um, Say something interesting about it. I find this interesting because, dot, dot, dot. And then we go around the room, everybody gives their comments and in their uh, portfolio worksheet, it says, write down five things that other people thought were interesting and arguments they gave for that. Okay, so step one. They've got one now out of seven points for their formative assessment. Step two. Uh identify and apply. Right? Okay. And then I get into lecture mode. Guys, this is a panel. This is emanana. This is a caption. This is like a voiceover. Uh this is graphic weight. Okay. Now find a passage from the graphic novel and pick it apart using those tools. Okay. Typical straight-up textual analysis. If you want to call it reader writer text, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. Um step three, uh research and understand. Right. Some, here's some research questions uh, about communism, Marxism, Iran, the Shah, um, Ayatollah Khomeini, etc. And there's a little research project in there that they, they do, and they present in, in uh, a group format, right? Um, now they've got three out of seven marks for their formative assessment. They're on their way to getting a seven. It's a tick list, right? Mm-hmm. And tick lists, tick lists motivate, like mm-hmm. research shows that Um, people are so much more motivated to tick seven boxes than to try to get a a seven using a rubric, right? That sounds weird, but uh, it's interesting, the the psychology behind motivation. Step four is analyze and articulate. So um, I want you to write um, one paragraph as if you were, um, yeah, um, analyzing one page, you know, from uh, Persepolis. And so they just write one paragraph. I give them feedback on one paragraph. They have to rewrite that one paragraph. They get better at analytical writing. Step four, four out of seven. Step five, collaborate, curate, and connect. Um, this is where we get into intertextuality, right? Are there other texts out there that um, are similar to this that are also commenting on war through the medium of graphic novel or? Um, work in a team, collaborate with someone, find a non-literary body of work. Um, these are the types of questions I ask them to do there. And that usually results in a group presentation. Um, that's the collaborate part of, uh, curate, connect and collaborate. And curiously, by the way, we never assess collaborative skills. And if we say that we're preparing them for the real world, why are we not assessing collaborative Mm. skills? Right. And it's in the approaches to learning. I mean, I have a poster here on my wall with the uh, uh, um, approaches to learning. And I see five things, thinking, social skills, research, self-management, communication. Of course, it's communication arts course. We're ticking that box. Thinking skill, definitely. It's all analytical thinking and transfer. We're doing that too, identify and apply. Very rarely are we actually engaging in creative thinking. That's on the poster though. Social skills, yeah, the collaborative bit you know, we kind of gloss over and sure we have our students doing group presentations, but I don't know if that's like, if it's like that for you, but my students always ask like, are we getting a grade for this group presentation? Mm. And like, like, I say, that's a horrible question to ask. Mm. Just give us a good presentation. (laughs) You know, Mm. I don't care. Do you want a grade for, uh, but the point is they don't seem to take things seriously unless they're getting a grade. And Mm -hmm. if that's what it takes, right. So then, I build it into my worksheet. All okay, right. Step five, yeah, collaboration, uh, kind of collaboration and intertextuality. I combine those two. I want you guys to do this together um, and present it to your class. Okay, tick that box. Five out of seven. Step six is to create something, and like I said, creative skills sits within thinking skills and the approaches to learning, and yet we don't do much with it since the death of uh, the written task. Yeah, and. Uh, so I, I've resurrected written tasks. Um, I have them uh, act out things. I, I ask them. Oftentimes, I give them. There's an element of choice here as well too. Here, are five things you can choose from, and it's funny. This is kind of self-differentiating. Um, you know, one student will just uh, decide to write a word cloud using WordArt.com or something. Really entry-level stuff. And, but they've got a cool word cloud that they're really proud of. And another student will create their own comic strip, right? Mm-hmm. Um, based on an episode, uh, a scene from a novel. And spend hours and hours trying to get the artwork just right and everything. And I tell them, you know, I don't care at which level you're operating. I just want to see you something uh, meaningful uh, for you, right? That you where I want to see a level of engagement. And then, so I give them a point for that too. So six out of seven, we're getting there with the worksheet. Thanks for your patience on this. No, this is really interesting. Please go ahead. Yeah. And then, And then there's the question they always hate. So let's reflect on that. <laughs> and their eyes all roll, right? But it's funny, since I introduced step seven, reflect and evaluate they, um, they just jump into it because they know this is their opportunity to get seven out of seven points on their worksheet. And their worksheet is what we call formative assessment. We'll do two of these worksheets in, in this, in the span of six to nine weeks. And then there'll be a, a summative exam style thing as well, too, like a mock IO or a mock paper mm. too. And they know that that, um, has serious weight as well, but I say, I'll say 50, 50. So, you know, maybe they bomb their mock paper one and they get a four, but they've got a couple of sevens to balance it out. Right. If they've done all their work. And so uh, it's a journey, right. And, um, the idea is they can track their journey and they can hyperlink evidence from their journey. to their Google site and they can link their Google site to their report and their parents can click through and uh anyone who cares about them uh, will have access to these documents. I, I tell them to make it available, um, that their Google docs and their Google sites available to others visible to others. Um, and they, they do take pride in their um, in their Google sites, their portfolio. All of this comes back to your portfolio question. I know it's a long long answer. Uh, but I do think that the the portfolio has to catch everything. And it has to be an iceberg and you can look at the tip of the iceberg. You can look at what's under the iceberg, but like it's the iceberg. (laughs) The whole learning journey is there. If you want to click through the, uh, and so anything and everything we do has got to go into some portfolio, some, some systems. Yeah. And my goal at the end of the day is to really help them develop their creative thinking skills, Um, not their analytical thinking skills. I think That's part of it, certainly, definitely. Um, But I'd like, if you look at the state of the world today, we need more creative thinkers. Yeah. Mm. And um, analysis is available on genius.com, honestly. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: go ahead, Brad. if If you think about it, I mean, for generations, we've been asking students on exams, what do you know? And if they're lucky and they're taking the IB and they're taking English, we're asking them questions like, uh, what can you do with what you know, right? But rarely do we ever ask students, what can you do with what you know in order to make the world a better place? Mm -hmm. Like we just don't ask students that question at school. And I try to push the envelope here at Frankfurt International School and get them to do that, Um, put them in the creative driver's seat. If we're gonna study Gordon Parks photography, um, I finished the lesson with this assignment. Now I want you to take a picture of a friend or a family member, and I want you to try to capture their sense of identity. They love mm. it. It's like, mm. it's, it's such a basic assignment. They have all got a phone in their pocket with the camera. And sometimes they'll just go off to the the, the woods out in front of the school or the cafeteria and take a picture of their friend Um, they have a great time doing it. And then, and then the analysis just flows, right? You don't even, you don't have to put a word count on it. So I want you to analyze the photograph that you just took 400, 500 words. They crank it out easily. Uh, and they don't, and they don't ask questions about, am I getting a grade for this or any of that? Uh, they just care about that photograph because they care about their friend. Um, it's fun, it's engaging, it's creative. So for me, kind of that's the higher purpose um is this yeah teaching for creative um thinking i was not
0: expecting that level of answer for the learner portfolio i had to say that was that same um, yeah that was that's outstanding really this is something which um i think if any ib teacher any ibdp teacher really is honest with themselves um in terms of the learner portfolio i think it is an opportunity to do all those things because you're kind of it is a bit of a blank canvas or it is a bit of a it is a kind of like a, an opportunity or a, a space to to do the creative things or to do the reflective things which you're not like you say being asked to do in any other kind of area of the course i remember yeah. like years ago getting the um we did the color purple remember i asked the students to to write stuff down in in kind of chinglish which is quite specific to Hong Kong, but you know, kind of almost like a um yeah. a slang, a slangy way for them to to talk if they if they understand yeah. they understand Cantonese and English. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And it just as time went on, I became more and more kind of fixated with I need to satisfy you know what the exams are asking for and this kind of thing. And I've probably got to a point now where I am quite um detached from from all those things, knowing that I should be doing more too engage the students in that way and yeah those those examples that you've just given that
1: you've listed out there are absolutely fantastic thank you very much there's Uh, an anecdote i often tell that goes along with creative thinking i'm going to tell it to you and i've told it to all my workshop participants before um so anyone listening to this will uh, be reminded of this anecdote um when i first bought a house in 2007 with my wife um we gutted the front yard and we wanted to start all over, create a new garden. And, uh, the funny thing was I had never really noticed my neighbor's gardens until I was in a position to create my own garden. Mm. So, uh, suddenly I was going to the, the garden center and looking at bricks and different plants and, um, you know, boxes and frames and things. And, sheds. And then I started walking around the neighborhood and I started studying what my neighbors actually had in their front yard. And I just became much more perceptive. And I I say the same is so true with um, creativity and uh, analytical thinking. So uh, it's, it's only once you've put the student in the creative driver's seat and say, I want you to write an anecdote from your own life as if you're writing your memoir. I'm only 16 years old, Mr. Phil, how am I supposed to write my memoir? I don't care. You know, something has probably happened to you somewhere in your life that you found significant. You don't even have to share it with me, but we're about to read a memoir by Marjane Satrapi or by Nora Krug or by Kaiji Nakazawa. And I want you to notice, right. What those three people had to go through when they were writing their memoir. Mm -hmm. And so it's, um, yeah, it, it, I think it's a game changer. And so I'll start with with an activity like that. Uh, first activity, we're going to spend the next two lessons just in total silence, and you're going to be writing 400 words, whatever, your memoir. Uh, and, uh, uh, just a segment from your me- memoir. Some students just run with it. I had a student last year. She submitted a 4,000-word short story. It was crazy. Huh. <laughs> I
0: was like... That's such a good analogy, man. That is such a yeah. yeah I couldn't. I that, yeah. That really resonated with me, and I'm particularly because sometimes students will just throw you a curveball. I mean, we we I'm sort of teaching like a unit on sonnets to uh, year eight, like the second year in NYP at the moment, and you get questions sometimes where students will just say, "If sonnets are so demanding in terms of the form or the 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 meter and the rhyme scheme." Why do they bother with it, Mr. Jordan? Why? Why don't they just break? You know? Why do they? And and if you haven't kind of done those sort of really sappy, terrible attempts at poetry yourself when you're a teenager in your twenties or that yeah. kind of thing, I, I don't think you can answer that as as a teacher or as a. Or maybe you can if you've kind of read, you know, what um, you know, the context and the background and the thoughts of those particular poets, but you're unlikely what? to have read those as a student. So
1: I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. 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 I even have, like, we do a unit on comedy and I, I tell them, I said, <laughs> I say, everyone in this classroom is going to tell a joke. And uh, they look, some of the students look at me all horrified. Like, yeah. You're going to stand up when you deliver your joke and you, you can deliver it at any time you want in the next three weeks. Right. So timing's everything. And uh, it's so funny, and I've got kids, of course, who are eager, eager at the beginning of every lesson. Oh, Mr. Phillip, I got one. Yeah. <laughs> I was the big cat, disqualified from the race. He was a cheetah, uh. <laughs> and you know, all the kids roll their eyes. Oh, there he goes again. You know, <laughs> he's. You know, I think he downloaded some dad joke app or something. Yeah. Uh, but- I don't care where they get their jokes from. They don't have to be original we just talk about delivery. And it's the idea is just to make a a fun, safe space here where anyone, uh, can try to make anyone laugh and it's okay. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Um, they, they see, and it's funny, these things, they, um, they really help build a rapport with the students. So it's great for the social emotional learning as well when it comes to, um, yeah, creativity, if students, uh, feel like they're in an environment where they can put themselves out there and they're not afraid to be judged. Uh, and, uh, and they won't be judged if it's a low stakes environment. And so that's why I really try to get away from, from grades as much as possible. Um, and yeah, and encourage them just to, to be creative and and express, um, themselves. And yeah, that's the idea with teaching with and, and for creativity. I'm doing a workshop on it in, in about an hour or two. So <laughs> get All it, right,
0: okay. well, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you mentioned kind of this uh, a little bit uh, earlier in terms of um, the IO, I guess, but as, as a final question, Brad, what is um, the, um element of the english a course you would uh sorry what is the element of the english a course you enjoy the most and what's one thing uh, that you could change if you could you don't have to keep it to one thing but what, what do you like the most about the new course and what would you change if you could
1: uh well i've already talked a lot about creativity in the individual oral and that it, it gives students room for autonomy i that is my favorite thing. Definitely. Mm. I've read some really fun higher level essays. I give students a lot of choice there to explore whatever they want to explore there too. Uh, and, uh, if there was something I could change, um, I suppose the low hanging fruit would be paper two. pay, sorry, paper one, higher level. It's, it's it's a bit bizarre and and ridiculous and strange to have students analyze two texts back to back, um, show their different texts. Um, the whole the whole paper pen clock thing. I mean, seriously, it's 2022. If I could change anything, I would definitely get away from that. Um, but that's scary. I know you know the IB is keen on being a, a rigorous exam board that sets standards around the world and um, becomes kind of a, a gatekeeper for university. Uh, I think if the IB were to get away from that and really truly look at their mission and vision about, um, you know, spreading international mindedness, then I think they would have to give things like CAS much more weight. They would have to introduce assignments or assessment components in English, A, Lang, and lit the, uh, you know, creative process, journal, writing, whatever, uh, much like they have in the visual arts, you know, process journal of, of, of creativity trying to show personal growth. Uh, I don't know why we can't do something like that you know, with, if we're a communication arts course, right. Mm. Then uh, let, let's, let's, let's break this thing open. And right now, essentially we're doing the same thing four times. If you look at the assessment criteria, you know, knowledge and understanding interpretation, analysis, evaluation, criterion B, criterion C organization, criterion D language, we get it. Uh, you do that for paper one, paper two, you um, uh, individual oral higher level essay it's um yeah you know a student the other day said to me actually isn't the io just a spoken essay and i was like <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you're right it is same criteria and we don't differentiate if there was one thing i would really stress about a new course um and i hope guillermo duff and others are out there listening is that you uh, know We're we're not differentiating now and uh, by having the same rubric for SL and HL, having essentially the same tasks for SL and HL. I know we're asking them to do more at HL. Um, That's one way of differentiating. Uh, But, you know, analyzing, I think um, one, uh, you know, one type of text can be more challenging than another type of text. Right. I teach Grace Nichols poetry because it's easy. And they only have five minutes to talk about a poem and poems on yeah. their individual oral. I think, you know, if a student wanted to explore T.S. Eliot's Wasteland, they should be allowed to do that using a different vehicle of assessment that lends itself well to that, right? I, ha- I actually had a student who did that very thing. He last, last week, he wanted to do his individual oral on T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. He came to me halfway through the school year. He said he had studied it in class at his previous school. And he'd become an expert on it. It was a train wreck. He failed miserably, right? Because he was trying to shoehorn uh, a ton of analysis into a tiny shoe yeah, <laughs> that individual yeah. world did not lend itself well to it. It probably would have been better for an HL essay or something like that. I could have guided him better. Um, but the point being is that we don't really have a range of tasks to choose from options. That would be real. That would be um, that would give students much more autonomy. Yeah, Uh, You know, heck, you know, 12, 13, 14 different tasks, um, some more challenging than others. Uh, And instead of giving students grades on a scale of one to uh, seven, we come out with a mastery transcript style report that says this student can articulate complex ideas uh, using complex, sophisticated language, uh, seeking problems in a political context wow. Okay. Mm. I'm hiring that. I'm hiring that kid. Right. (laughs) Like I could use someone like that right now in, in Russia, (laughs) you Mm. know? Mm. Um, Yeah. And and instead it's like, uh, I, I sometimes feel like students are just ticking a lot of boxes. I know this is the language that we're supposed to use through the use of the reader feels, uh -uh -uh. and I've got, Mm. I've got it on my board, the language of textual analysis, you know, and they can, it's, it's kill and drill sometimes. I I don't want to say it's kill and drill. It's, um it's rehearsed they understand these these linguistic structures that lend themselves well to textual analysis they got it they get it they can move on some of my students you know grade 10 11 they're ready to sit their final exams i don't know yeah. why i don't know why they're sitting around here waiting uh for 18 months uh for an exam that they're all they could already competently pass um so we don't differentiate uh i would love to see the ib not just the. Uh, you know, the the group one language uh, studies in language and literature, but all the groups, I'd love to see them differentiate much more, make it student centered, make it authentic. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the mastery transcript out of the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. It's, uh, it's like what I described. It's all um, can do statements and the, um, the, the report is it's it's like a dynamic PDF. Uh, you can, um, it's like little petals of a rose, right. And sure. You can teach it subject by subject if you want, but there's certain core requirements like global citizenship, et cetera, that need to be met. And, uh, students need to show these competencies through a range of product, um, projects, so project-based learning, and they can pick, uh, which, petals of the rose, they want to be longer than other petals, right? To kind of uh, distinguish themselves and to, to profile themselves, if you will. Uh, but this idea of of having, you know, six subjects, I love the idea of holistic learning, a broad liberal arts degree. It's great, but it's not for every student. Some of them do want to be doctors and study in the Netherlands, and they do need to have physics, biology, and um, chemistry. And so, mm-hmm. You know, my daughter would, uh, wants to take uh, film and visual arts and dance, you know, <laughs> uh, and she's already knows which art school she wants to go to. Um, and so, you know, who, some students are a flashlight, others are a laser beam. And mm. I think we need to accommodate for that. Um, and we're not, we're just not right now. So there's, there's a lot of work that can be done. Yeah. For, for what it's
0: worth, I think when I, I uh, without wishing to misquote or mis-explain what Guillermo said, I do think that a lot of what you've mentioned, he kind of echoed or, or mentioned um, when I spoke to him, particularly in terms of, yeah, this idea of uh, creative expression or personal expression or differentiated expression. And he even cited the, the, the same as you there, the kind of the, um, the example of visual arts and the way that they have you know they yeah. they, they, they build towards that summative of having a uh, an exhibition and, and, and that kind of thing yeah I, I think I think the learner portfolio is maybe the first step hopefully towards something like that in 5, 10, 15 however many yeah. years time it's clearly the brainchild of someone uh, within the IB who believes in that and whether or not yeah. they choose to put more stock in it you know, you would think that with this whole pandemic situation, we'd learn something about like the idea of, um, um, you know, a one-off examination dictating the yeah. the, the, the future of a, a student's kind of tertiary education, but we'll, we'll wait and
1: see. Um, if you're familiar, what's happened to the, um, presentation in TOK, but, uh, similarly, they put together these cultural artifacts, right. And they, they present mm-hmm. those, um, in a kind of an exhibition style. And uh, I think that's great. That's the future. It wouldn't surprise me if that comes to the new, new iteration in 2025 of English, A, Lang, and Lit. Um, yeah, the, the, an exhibition style. I I do an activity like that. It's featured on my website uh, with my student, a gallery of texts, I call it. The students love it. Um, and I'm not the only one who's doing this. A lot of schools do this. And, you know, here, here's your opportunity to print five, six, seven bitty texts. Uh, they all have to be of a different text type around a certain theme. And, you know, you get these presentations on like, and I, they do pinup boards, right. Um, walls and immigration, I, you know, here's a political cartoon making fun of Trump and his wall. And, you know, here's a poem by Warsonshire, et cetera. And uh, the students love it. Right. And they write little captions to go with each thing. And they're trying to explore an idea I think that it wouldn't surprise me if that becomes um, a, a new component of assessment. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, like, um, are we really measuring what we value or, or do we just value what we can measure? Um, hmm. And at this point, um, it seems like with paper one, paper two, HLSA, IO, we just value what we can measure. I can measure analytical thinking. You can measure analytical thinking, right? Um, sure, we've thrown the word evaluation into the mix but it's, it's all very measurable. And that's, I feel like why we're doing it, you know? Um, And yet, what do we really value? If we really value social skills, if we really value creative thinking, then why aren't we doing more with those? Yeah. So that, and it's, and I think the answer is simply because they are tough to measure. Um, And and I know that I know that's what the IB is up against. Uh, But again, like, through, um, things like the mastery transcript, um, we can overcome that it's, it's possible. And so many schools are, are trying to, they're, they're making attempts, uh, here at our school, we had an interdisciplinary project for grade eight, the grand design, every student was an architect for a week. They got to design our new library and groups and it was great. It was fun. Right. And, uh, it was interdisciplinary. Um, nobody has to see a rubric, um, we could have, could have made one, but you know, we don't have an IP. <laughs> it probably would have killed all creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, you no, know, I'm just saying, you know, schools, schools all over are, are doing these things, you know, MUN, you know, that's a great example. MUN is something every school is actually doing. And very few students are getting credit for curriculum wise, right? Like what if we were to give them school credit for something like MUN? I mean, I think they would just you would probably get the same crowd taking that elective that's already doing it, but they would feel like their efforts are valued a little bit more. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do a a Lego club after school and, uh, you know, we do all kinds of building projects and train tracks and things like that with the middle school kids and, and I work with the elementary school kids on this too. I, I'm a, a Lego geek. I've got like over a million <laughs> in, in my classroom, right, right here in front of me, I'm looking at, and it's, it's nuts, but um, it's like this, uh, this kind, kind of ongoing dynamic project that everyone's participating in. You know, I gave kids like, it looks like this. Um, actually, It's a podcast. You, your People can't see, but I gave them like a, a frame to build their own apartment. And then they come up with these kind of things. This kid stuck a hamburger on the side of his apartment for oh, some yeah. reason, you know? Um, and it, it's just, it's about that. It's about creating a space uh, for our students in which they can express themselves. They can tinker, they can experiment, they feel safe and they can become a better version of themselves. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's gotta be the goal for any new uh, English, a language and course language, a English, a language and literature. Uh, course or any course in the diploma program
0: that's yeah that's an uh, it's a pretty inspiring and exciting way to to end that um question i have to say yeah i kind of I completely reiterate that um uh, brad 100 percent. yeah um, the last thing for me to say, I suppose, is just yeah to say uh, thank you very much for giving up your time today. You're obviously a busy person. You, you mentioned the, the the course that you've got going on later on and um, I'm sure kind of with the, the the teaching and all that kind of thing and the family. So thank you very much for giving up your time and, and thank you for being such a fantastic leader when it comes to
1: um, IBDP more broadly for the, the IB community. Yeah, well, it's been great talking to you, Chris. I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm curious to hear more podcasts uh, from you and with your guests. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Brad. See you
0: soon.
1: All right. Take care.